Hey, sickos. I'm LJ. And I'm Toe. And this is Say Psycho Right Now. Say Psycho Right Now is a true crime and paranormal podcast. Some content may be considered disturbing or graphic. This podcast also contains adult language. Listener discretion is advised. To access our socials or become a Patreon member with access to early episodes and bonus content, find us on any social media platform and consult the link tree in our bio or go to www.patreon.com slash psycho right now. You can also follow us on our socials or wherever you stream your podcasts and leave a five-star review if you're enjoying our content so we can continue to reach more people. This is a great free way to support your favorite content creators. Case suggestions or stories to share can also be sent to now at gmail.com. Now let's get into today's episode. Yay! sickos welcome back welcome back welcome back welcome back so this episode that we prepared for you guys today was requested by our favorite special little john john so hopefully now that we're recording the case he wants maybe now he'll give us the time of day and actually stream an episode yeah john do your john john job yeah be a friend so, of the pod, John. Like, freaking better after I deep-dived this. I even bought an actual book. I mean, it was an ebook. I'm, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not an intellectual or anything, but... <laughs> an animal. <laughs> it didn't have pages, but it, yeah. like... But it was a book. I had to virtually click a button to turn the page that yeah. wasn't, like, an article, so... So when we drop this pretty episode... Serious. When we drop this episode, if you all could just at John. Please. Until he streams it. Yeah, I will at him verbally until <laughs> until he streams it. Um, just going over, like, our resources today because you guys know we tag those in the show notes. Like, we'll drop all of those. But I always try to, like... And by we, we mean LJ yeah Toe's an animal so i have to like berate her for months to get her sources and the 
comments. It's so. not that I. It's not that I don't have sources. It's just that I don't do a great job at putting them where they go. Mm-hmm. So bully her about that, maybe if you find one of her episodes that doesn't have the sources listed, maybe maybe bully her a little bit so that I don't I have don't to. Don't know if all that is necessary. But... It is. It is. But yeah. for this episode, right? You know, we're we're gonna have articles, YouTube videos, etc. But the main one that I just want to like verbally mention to you guys, so that you guys could maybe check it out, pick it up, show some support, because this was like a super valuable source for us throughout this episode, was that ebook that I was talking about. It is called. The Shocking True Account of the Lulu Lemon Athletica Killing by Dan Morse. The very good resource. And we'll drop the other ones in the show notes there for you. But that one in particular, like, if I included everything that was in this book, the episode would just be its own podcast series, basically. Like, it's very detailed. Gosh, we love a good book. Do we? Yeah, I do. I'm a book person. I'm not a book person. Thanks, trauma. Okay. Okay. So, we are going to start with some background here today. We have our perpetrator and our victim. We're going to start with the perpetrator here. Just alphabetical order, I guess. So, we've got Brittany Norwood. Brittany was described by family and friends as always happy, always smiling. She was a former college soccer star and aspired to own a gym one day. And as a part of that plan, she was trying to secure a personal trainer spot at Equinox, which is like a bougie gym, I guess. Okay, so wait, where does this take place? So this store that's like the focal point of the case that we're going to be talking about today is located in a Washington, D.C. suburb of Beth- I'm going to say this wrong. This is like, it just doesn't feel right in my mouth, you know? But, like, mm-hmm. I can read it, but saying it just feels, like, wrong. Bethesda, Maryland. Bethesda, yeah. Bethesda. That's hard to say. Is it not hard to say? That's a hard word for me. I don't think it's a hard word, but that's <laughs> I don't know. It just feels weird on my I just mouth. like I just like I don't know. I've lived relatively close to the DMV area my whole life, so like maybe it's just because this is like the only case, the only time in which I've ever seen that city in my life. It just yeah. feels weird on my mouth. I don't know, but it was in Bethesda, Maryland. Okay. Good okay. Talk. Cool. Good talk. So, she had actually already impressed the hiring parties at the Bethesda location and had a second interview set for the following Monday. Brittany was a 28-year-old sales rep, and she grew up in Washington State, just south of Seattle. Her mother's name is Larkita. She, at the time, was a 61-year-old homemaker who worked part-time in advertising, and Brittany's dad was Earl. He was 65 at the time and ran a specialized 
Oh my god. Guys, this is my second take. I'm not even like we've have recorded this a couple times already. He ran an upholstery. Shop. I can't what is wrong upholstery. with my mouth today? I keep upholstery. saying upholstery, like a singular chicken. And it won't come out any other way. Thank you, Toe. Oh my god. Honestly? He did not run a singular chicken shop. It was an upholstery shop. I'm about to ah! stab this bitch if she doesn't stop. I don't know. You need help. Bethesda. In your mouth. Upholstery. Send help. Okay. Brittany had eight brothers and sisters, one of whom was 17 months older, named Marissa. Brittany rented a room in Marissa and her fiance's home. But Brittany had, like, her own access door and a roommate who she wasn't close to. So it seems like it was almost, like, duplexy. You know what I mean? Like, okay. That's, that's the vibe I get. Like, she at least, at the very least, had her own entrance. So I don't know. Maybe we're talking, like, a basement with, you know, that type of access. You know what I'm talking about? You know the vibes? Okay. So Yeah. Okay. And then we are going to get into Jaina, who was the victim in today's case, Jaina Murray. She was a 32-year-old supervisor at the Lululemon store's Bethesda location. Bethesda. Her, Bethesda. Okay. God. Okay. Her mom was Phyllis, and her dad was named David. Her dad was 68 years old and ran oil drilling projects, and they had three kids together, of which Jaina was the youngest. Her older brothers were Hugh and Dirk, and growing up, she was known for tagging along to the Boy Scouts meetings her dad would lead. She also took dance lessons while growing up. Jaina was a world traveler who was fluent in Spanish. She was actually just two months shy of getting two master's degrees, one in business administration and one in Good. communication from John Hopkins. We yeah, love so to see it. She was like getting it, getting studious, it, getting it. Studious queen. Yes, yes. So she was like very accomplished and very much adored by everyone who knew her. She had two nephews, especially, who really, really loved her and looked up to her, one of whom had his fourth birthday party planned for the day after the events of today's case. So the timing was especially, like, super sad timing. But it just, like, I feel like details like that are important because it just, like, it humanizes, you know? Like, these are real people with... Real lives, real yeah. families who, like, were really impacted. It's so sad. So, I guess now we need to get into the actual case itself. So, we <laughs> send help. All right. We all know where this door is located by now, right? I don't need to say it again. Lulu Limit. say it again. <laughs> <laughs> it was at the 
Lululemon Athletica store in March of 2011. If you don't know what city it was in by now, fuck you, you whore. Uh, so this particular Lululemon store had an Apple store right next door. And this day, the iPad second generation had just launched. It was like a super big to do, right? Everybody wants their iPad. So because of this, people were queued up, like, all the way down the sidewalk all day trying to get the new device. And a gentleman by the name of Ryan had been unsuccessful in securing an iPad the previous night. So he queued up early the next morning outside of Apple. Hims was going to snag him an iPad for sure. He was very determined. Um, It was a need, not a want. So, a Lululemon employee named Rachel showed up to start her shift, but before even entering, things seemed off. Rachel was immediately, like, you know when there's, like, something just isn't right? Like, you know? Have you yeah. ever been in a situation where the vibes are just, like, bad? I don't know. Yeah, I've been on a couple dates like that. Okay, I was more thinking, like, the day my husband died, and, like, I got home, mm. and the mailbox was, like, opened, you know, because before I left that morning, I sent him a text, because I was running late for work, and I sent him a text, and I was like, hey, can you please close the mailbox? It would have taken me two seconds to do, but I was already late, and I was like, I knew that he would close it, like, it wouldn't be a big deal, right? And yeah. he would be up within, like, 15 minutes. And when I got home and the mailbox was still open, my heart, like, fell out of my asshole because I knew something was wrong. So, like, those kind of vibes, you know? Rachel was just like, yeah. mm, mm, it's sinister. It's giving sinister. <sighs> so, um, Rachel already felt like things were off. And then she could hear groaning coming from the back room and could see that things inside didn't look right this was like groaning yeah groaning and she hadn't even entered actually like actually entered you know how like i feel like if you can hear groaning coming from the back room that's more of a vibe that's more of a holy fuck i just walked into a horror movie yeah like i said it was sinister um so she immediately alerted the authorities at this point But um, our pal Ryan, who is dedicated to his iPad grind, he overheard, you know, kind of the general commotion, not necessarily, like, the groaning per se, but just generally, Rachel was obviously, like, visibly frazzled, she was alerting the authorities, and, you know, Ryan's like, okay, you know, like, I'm just gonna step in here and see if there's anything I can do. So he approached Rachel, and... Rachel asked if he'd seen anyone go into the store this morning because he'd been out there, like, dedicated to his iPad cause for quite some time already by the time Rachel turned up. So Rachel said that she was afraid to enter, at which point Ryan offered to go inside with her. So Ryan and Rachel enter, Ryan leading the way, and he was the first one to find... Jaina's body. He then found Brittany in one of the bathrooms, and she was actually, like, 
bound in one of the bathrooms in such a way that her hands were above her head. And he called out to rel- to Rachel to relay what he'd found. And at that point, Rachel put in, like, a follow-up call to 911. She's like, this is no longer just, like, a little suspicious. Like, mm-hmm. this is full-blown, escalated. Like, we've got one dead, one, you know, not in great shape. Like, she's like, okay, let's, like, actually move our butts here. Yeah, she's like, this isn't a situation where, like, oh, maybe somebody stole some leggings, you know? Like, this is, <laughs> this is a little more than that. So, yeah. at the scene of the crime, Jaina's body was found next to the murder weapons. There was rope, a claw hammer with blood on the handle, a wrench, three box cutters, and an open red metal box labeled Everyday Tools. While Jaina's body was being removed from the scene, Detective Reuven walked around to check in with the patrol officers who were guarding the front of the store, at which point he was approached by a woman who said that she was walking her dog at 11.15 the night prior and heard a woman shouting. At the time, she thought it was coming from like down the street not from inside Mm. the store and she noted that at the end of the block outside of the barnes and noble she saw a 1965 dodge convertible parked with windows down and keys in the ignition outside of the no wait i'm sorry can i just did did she specifically say oh i saw a 1965 dodge convertible because that's really like specific so, you know, I mean, I don't know exactly how she got or like or, how okay. her and law enforcement got to that point together. It could have been, oh, like I saw a white vehicle and then maybe they show her some vehicles and be like, do any of these match the description? And then she says, okay. actually, that one, you know, I don't know the exact process there, but like, Lord knows if I ever was giving like a description of anything and I was like, oh, yeah, it was, like, 2019 Dodge Grand Caravan. I don't care. Like, that's the car that I freaking have. And I still couldn't pick it out of a lineup with confidence. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? That like, tracks. I mean, so. and I say that as a person who could identify a lot of different cars in their years because I had a car phase and I also have a photographic memory. So, like, I mean not judging too hard but also i know that most people don't possess that skill so i'm kind of like right it's like oh you happen to be by the store you happen to hear xyz you happen to see this car and happen to know exactly what year make and model like obscure year make and model so not saying it's impossible because like i could pick out you know i could say okay well that's an i know that's an early 2000s f-150 because i know the body style that you know existed in the early 2000s but like i also know that like most people are pretty oblivious to that right i feel like if in this situation like if i absolutely had to guess i would say it's probably a situation where she was like well it was an older convertible and then they were like do any of these look like what you saw and you know what i mean that's just kind of my speculation so she said that outside of the car there was a younger dark-skinned male 
wearing a gray jacket who was otherwise unremarkable. Like, she literally would not have thought anything of this, like, non-interaction ever if something hadn't been, you know, like, if there hadn't been a big to-do the next day. You know, she would just sure. never, you know, it wasn't like, oh, he sure seems sketchy. It was just like, oh, he's, like, literally just there. That's it. Okay. So... Separately, medical examiners said that upon arrival, before beginning their autopsy or getting background from the police department, just based on seeing Jaina's face alone, they said that Jaina's injuries were so severe that they initially thought she had been ejected in a car accident. And they were, yeah, they were actually shocked to hear that she had been attacked, you know, because they'll generally, you know, They'll get the body, maybe get, like, a first impression, but the police department will also give some type of a debrief, and that might be before they receive the body, might be after they receive the body, but it will be before the actual autopsy takes place, right? Right. And so they obviously receive this body, and they're thinking, like, oh, my God, she must have been ejected, and then the police department comes in and says, oh, no, she was attacked, and they were like, what? You know, but that just goes to show... Like, the brutality, the force, right? So, the medical examiners said that Jaina's head had to be shaved to enable them to thoroughly catalog all of the injuries to her skull. They also couldn't use their regular diagram to catalog all of her injuries, as her injuries were just far too extensive. Instead, what they did is they printed off images of her injuries and labeled them one by one that way. Like, they, they took individualized photos. And based on blood stains, they also determined that she appeared to have been raped as well. At the end of the autopsy, there were conservatively estimated to be more than 200 injuries to Jaina's face, head, and neck. And more than an additional 100 to her hands, arms, and shoulders. But it would take examiners weeks to go through the 37 close-up autopsy photos to count each individual wound and differentiate between wounds that were layered on top of other wounds. So just extensive, extensive damage. Like, definite overkill as well. You know, just awful. So awful. Now, meanwhile, Brittany was taken to Suburban Hospital while the detectives worked diligently to process the evidence back at the scene. At the hospital, Officer Colin O'Brien, who previously worked in SWAT, guarded Brittany's room for her protection. Nurses collected Brittany's ripped and bloodied clothes and handed them to the officer to be bagged and cataloged for evidence. He noticed the wounds on Brittany's hands, and in his report, he noted that he'd seen similar wounds during his time in SWAT when someone who was stabbing someone else had a knife slip. However, he also noted that the wounds could possibly be defensive in nature. This did, however, spark a red flag for him in general, you know, when he saw those wounds. That was the first time that he was like, hmm... You know, that that's a, a head-scratcher, you know? Yeah. 
Detective Deanna Mackey interviewed Brittany for 48 minutes at the hospital. Brittany initially asked how her friend was doing, and Deanna told her that she hadn't been to the scene yet, which wasn't untrue, but Deanna did know that Jaina was deceased. She just didn't want to further rattle Brittany. Brittany told law enforcement that the night prior, she had called Jaina as she had left her wallet in the store. Jaina didn't mind meeting Brittany to help her get the items that she left behind because she'd actually also gotten out the store and realized, like, oh, shit, I left my laptop. So she was like, you know what? Like, group field trip. Like, we're going to just redo this <laughs> and, and get yeah. our stuff. So they disarmed the alarm. But they didn't lock the door because it was just supposed to be really quick, right? I mean, they're not, like, going in there to do, like, complete closing of the store. They're literally just, like, going in, bam, get the keys, bam, get the laptop, leave, right? So, so sure. they didn't... They disarmed it. They didn't rearm it. They didn't lock the door. They were going to be like two seconds. So when they entered the store and were getting their items, they were then very quickly attacked by a pair of masked intruders wearing all black and demanding the money from the till. One assailant hit Brittany over the head, cut her leggings open, and violated her with a wooden hanger. She says that she didn't get a clear look at the faces of the assailants as they were masked, but stated that they sounded young and white. So, detectives Jim Drury and Dimitri Reuven, who were among the first on scene, were immediately suspicious of Brittany's account due to forensic evidence at the scene that didn't seem to line up with her story. The Montgomery police were actually skeptical from the beginning. At one point, the state's attorney general told the department, quote, you've got to get this right. This is a hell of an allegation to make against somebody the community has embraced as a victim, end quote. Yeah. In an effort to recreate the bloody footprints found at the crime scene and see if the blood would wear off before making it to the exit of the building, a shoe print expert by the name of David McGill dipped an old pair of sneaker laces in sheep's blood and walked along a trail of white paper. But the results could not be duplicated, meaning that the killer could not have left the building without abandoning the sneakers. The sneaker prints were found to be from shoes that were in a display for the store, meaning the killer would have had to switch into the Lulu sneakers at the scene and put them back on the display before leaving. Which is just, like, a weird thing to do in general, right? Unless, yeah. unless you're trying to throw things off, you know? So... Very weird murder behavior. Super weird. So, Rachel was called by Jaina from her car at about 10 p.m. that night. And Jaina reported that she speculated that Brittany stole a pair of yoga pants as a pair was found during routine end-of-shift bag checks with no proof of purchase. It was strange to law enforcement that if they had gone through bag check and even left the store, that both women had ended up back in the store after the fact. But Rachel explained that Brittany had left her wallet in the store and as a supervisor, Jana went back with her as she 
had a key, but Brittany did not. So Detective Karen walked next door to interview anyone who had been working at the store the night before. This is, remember, next door is the Apple store, right? Full circle. Mm. We're back to Apple. Yeah, we're back to Apple. So, yeah. So we have Yana Spurzo. Her her last name is a little hard to say. I apologize if I didn't pronounce that correctly. But Yana Spurzo was the store supervisor over at Apple. And she was closing the store after 10 p.m. when she heard conflict taking place on the other side of the store, like on the Lululemon side of the wall, if that makes sense. So she reported that the conflict seemed like it was between two women. She actually contacted security to have them check their back room and the upstairs but those areas were clear because it's like the Apple security, right? So mm, okay. the security for the Apple store called in a second manager by the name of Ricardo Rios. They heard one voice say on the other side of the Lulu wall, talk to me. Don't do this. Talk to me. Tell me what's going on. God help me. Please, God help me. But could not make out the other voice or like what the actual nature of the dispute was right so Mm. in the discussions ricardo speculated that it sounded like maybe one of them had just heard bad news and the other person was trying to talk them down and yana wondered out loud to the group you know ricardo and the apple security if she should call the police I mean, yeah, you should call the freaking police. Thank you. Like, you don't know what's going on on the other side of the wall, right? I mean, it could be any of 500 things, right? Yeah, and to me, like, if I heard that exchange loud and clear like that, I would jump to spooky rather than not spooky. Right, because to me, like... What was it? I'm going to scroll up a bit. It was, don't do this. Tell me what's going on. Talk to me. God, help me. Please help me. It doesn't sound like, oh, I just got a little bad newsies. Like, sounds a lot like. Honestly, when I hear don't do this, I think like suicide attempt. Yeah, or or something bad, you know. That's what I would have jumped to. I don't yeah, know. I would no, have just, definitely jumped to harm. Okay. Yeah. Like, yeah, harm. Exactly. Thank you. Like, harm in some way, shape, or form. Like, Yeah, like, harm you, harm me. I don't know, but somebody's in danger is how that registers to me. For sure. Like, why are we not calling the police? Right. And, and Yana definitely felt that way. She was like, I mean, I, I should call the police, right? But Ricardo was just like, you know, girl, it's up to you. I just think it's a little bit of drama taking place. Like, I'd rather not involve myself, but if you want to, go for it. And your protecting job, Ricardo. Yeah, well, I mean, technically, Ricardo was just another manager like Yana. He he wasn't, like, the Apple security, which, like, to me... Bad job doing your common sense job, Ricardo. Yeah, definitely I just, I'm mad, like, I'm mad at Ricardo. Let me be mad at Ricardo. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just feel like that's so dismissive. Like, oh, it's just a little bit of drama between a couple of girls. Like, you don't know what the fuck it is, Ricardo. Yeah, sounds or, like a typical man. 
And like the Apple security, like I get that like they quote unquote did their job, right? Like there's nothing happening in their back room. Like there's nothing blah, blah, blah. Okay, cool. Like great job doing the absolute bare minimum almost. However, (laughs) like if you hear that type of a commotion going on on the other side, I get it. You're not hired to be Lululemon security. However, this seems like the appropriate time to potentially outsource someone who would be more appropriate and qualified to see what's yeah, going for on sure. next door. And while you're not hired to be Lululemon security, you are hired by the world to not suck as a person. I definitely don't pay them for that, but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> God. Okay, so Yana ultimately did not call the police, right? And Ricardo left around the same time as Yana at about 10.56 p.m. Now, the next day when law enforcement came around, we're doing interviews. Yana reported to law enforcement that she definitely only heard two voices. And she was absolutely certain that both voices were distinctly female. She didn't hear any males on the other side. She felt very, very confident in that. So security footage did see two men dressed in black walk by the night prior, one of whom was Mm -hmm. on the phone and another was wearing a backpack. Initially, law enforcement thought they found the guys. They started to hone in and they thought, you know, initially that Brittany had been lying about the events of the night, that it was unlikely that she would have described the two white men in all black, one of whom was about six foot. Like her details surely would have been off and not verifiable. So now they're starting to think, shit. Maybe we got this wrong. Like, we've been focusing on the victim as a possible perpetrator. But here are these two white guys in all black, one of whom's about six feet tall. Like, shit, you know? So law enforcement really chased down this lead. But when the men were identified as being employees of a nearby restaurant where an all black uniform was required... They complied with the questioning very readily. They were very, like, whatever you need, like, absolutely. They sat for interviews, and they were very quickly ruled out. Like, it it just wasn't them. There was no way. Their alibis checked out. It just wasn't them. So, now a patrolman found Jaina's car, a silver Pontiac, parked three blocks from the yoga store, in a parking lot behind the farmer's market, but detectives wondered if Jaina had driven back around 10 p.m., wouldn't she be able to get a closer spot? A patrolman named Justin Turney. I know. Like, good job doing your detective work, boys. Like, five-star job. Yeah, that, that was, like, a smart thought. So a patrolman named Justin Tierney told Officer Drury that at 12.30 a.m., he saw a woman sitting in the car. He couldn't tell if the person in the driver's seat was a man or a woman, but he said that he noted the car and he saw its Texas plates 
but figured someone was likely just taking a smoke break in their car from a nearby bar or restaurant, as those types of facilities didn't allow patrons to smoke inside, and it was pretty cold out, so it would make sense for a smoker to be inside their own car at that hour, just to kind of, like, be out of the elements, you know? So right. he, he was just like, okay, like, noted, like, this is a little bit out of place, but also, like, not too far out there where I need to, like, go knock on the window, right? Yeah. So... This actually raised more red flags for law enforcement, though. They noticed that Jaina's injuries were very severe, right? I mean, we talked about the extensive, extensive nature of poor Jaina's injuries. While, in contrast, Brittany's were pretty mild. Like, Brittany had stolen from the store that evening as well. So, now law enforcement, they've ruled out these gentlemen in black who worked at the nearby restaurant. So, Brittany had stolen from the store that evening, so law enforcement is now thinking, like, okay, you know, like, we've ruled out the guys in black who were, like, our only possible inclination that this story might have been legitimate, right? It's not mm. looking so good for Brittany right now. And they're kind of starting to wonder, hey, like, did this all transpire as a direct result of Brittany being caught stealing, right? So they began yeah. to wonder as well, like, you know, is this just indicative of, or like, this act of theft, right? Is there something more to this about Brittany's character? Like, if she's capable of stealing, like, you know, I mean, not everybody who steals is a murderer, but, like, you know, this is kind of in contrast with what a lot of people say about her as being, you know, so honest and so happy and so whatever. Like, what else about Brittany might Don't people not, yeah, yeah, or might not expect even. So, and something else that the detectives noticed was the weapons in the store had all been found there at the store not bought by prepared intruders who came to rob Lululemon with a plan, right? It's like, if if whoever committed this act did not come prepared with their own items to carry out acts of violence, whatever they did to mm -hmm. Jaina and to Brittany, it was all with items that they found at the store. And, you know, even the shoes, the shoes were from the store that had the bloodied footprints. When law enforcement dug further, they found that Brittany was actually previously fired from another Lululemon store for theft. Oh, wow. Wild. Fascinating, Brittany. Wild to me. How did she get hired in a second Lululemon? I, I have questions. Mm. I just don't know. She was fired from a, a whole other Lululemon store for theft. And anyway, so having another theft termination on her record would cost her her current job and potentially prevent her from getting the job she was set to interview for on Monday. And remember, this job that she was interviewing for on Monday was like a big deal for her. This was at a big gym as a personal trainer 
And that's like one step closer to her dream of owning her own gym one day, right? This is more like on her career trajectory for for fitness. And so they're thinking that this might have been motive for Brittany to kill Jaina as Jaina was going to report the theft from that evening to Brittany's superiors the next day. And this would likely result in another theft-related termination on her resume, right? Right. And, you know, she'd already given her references to this company as well. So now, like, she's got these people down as a reference, and they're going to say, like, no, like, she stole from us. And also, we know for a fact that she was terminated from her last job for theft as well. So, and then there goes her job offer. Right. Not a great look, Brittany. Not a great look. So it was doing your retail person job. Yeah, literally like retail one oh one. Just like do the bare minimum of not thieving from your store. Stupid ass. So anyway, it was found that Brittany bludgeoned, choked, and stabbed Jaina to death using at least five different weapons and inflicting more than 331 separate wounds. All of Brittany's own wounds were self-inflicted, including the head wound, which was actually the result of her own weapon rebounding and making contact with her after impact with Jaina. Brittany used display shoes from the store to make tracks around the building to throw off law enforcement, but the tracks never left the store because Brittany never left the store herself. She then spent all night lying in the darkened store waiting to be discovered next to Jaina's corpse. Oh, so sad. Now, we're going to get into the trial next. At the trial, Brittany was officially charged with first-degree murder and sentenced to life. The judge, Robert Greenberg, said before sentencing her, quote, you're one hell of a liar, ma'am. Assistant State's Attorney Maribeth Ayers said, quote, as humans, we want to believe it's the masked men. We want that. That makes us feel better. You don't want to believe that it's the articulate, educated, attractive girl next door. You won't. You don't want to believe that because that's someone you might trust, end quote. Brittany is now incarcerated at the Maryland Correctional Institution for Women, where she will carry out her life sentence. And that is the unfortunate story of the Brittany Norwood and Jana Marie Lululemon murders. Great. Thanks for sharing that, LJ. I hate that I did. You're welcome. You're welcome, Jonathan. God, why you do this to me? <laughs> Don't ever say we never did anything nice for you, Jonathan. Literally. Okay, so um, that said, usually this is the part where we tell you guys like what's next on the little calendar. Do we know Ooh. that? I don't have my computer in front of me. You know what? I uh, do have a computer in front of me. Wow, um, you're so much better than me oh today. My God. Yeah, today. Being the 
had to follow that up. So for let's see. Okay. So our next regular episode is going to be Kristen Gilbert, the Angel of Death, and that's going to be hosted by yours truly. For our patron people, we do have an off-topic Tuesday coming up the day after this airs, and that's going to be a follow-up on like our last off-topic Tuesday. If you were ready for that shit show. Um, so that's going to be a fun time. And of course, you know, Yellow Jackets on Wednesdays, as always, for our Patreon people. Beautiful. Sounds like a fun little weeky week. It's going to be super special. And for those of you who don't know, because I don't know if we've really been plugging this on our podcast the way that we should be. But if you go to our Patreon, if it's something you're interested in, but you're like, bro, I don't know if it's for me or like, but I'm not paid until next week. We got you. There's a one week free trial, actually. So Mm -hmm. if it's something that you're into, check it out. If it's not something that you're into, but you still like us, leave us a five star review. Super duper free and bumps us in our algorithms okay guys well thanks so much for joining us and we look forward to um toe leading us on her little nightmarish escapade next week it's gonna be a fun time stay tuned all right love you so much bye okay toodaloo bye great